guys ready up there? Hi, and welcome to the Women in Film and Television Ireland podcast. My name is Fiona Kinsla. I'm a Women in Film and Television board member and producer at Tile Media and Jumper Productions. When it comes to realizing the visual concept of a film, the production designer is key. In this podcast, WFT member and production designer and graphic artist Jill Beecher talks with production designer Katie Byron about their craft and all things industry related. Welcome everybody and we're so delighted first of all to have Jill Beecher who's here a WIFT member and someone who's like so ridiculously busy in the industry doing fabulous things and um, who'll be leading this chat. I'll be I'll be dipping out and you won't hear much from me until the end so if you have any questions feel free to, to message put them in the Q&A box and then we'll get to them at the end. And, and of course, uh, we're so lucky to be um, spoken to by our fabulous guest, uh, Katie Byron. So what I'm going to do is rather than me introduce you, what's much, much, much more interesting for our guest, if you could describe a little bit about um, your career to date, because I think that's one of the things that like one of the major questions that we get is, you know, how do I get into this field? What are the opportunities if you both could describe your journey? And maybe we'll start with you, Jill. Um, and then afterwards, if you, Katie, can just chat a little bit about that and then I will be gone until the very end and then I'll pop back in for the Q&A. So thank you so much. And I'll let these two experts chat away. <laughs> Thanks, Gemma. I started um, with the completely not in film and I started in a fine art photography degree and I just started to kind of realized that I preferred making the sets more than actually taking the photos anymore. So I um I went and I studied after that in Ballyfermis and I did cinematography, but I kind of um did it from tried my best to do it from an art department point of view. Um because there was only at the time there was only one course in, in Ireland and I'd gone to Dunleary and then um yeah there was only kind of eight participants left allowed into it. And they usually would have come from fine arts instead of the photography. So I, um, yeah, I, I just did it that way. Then the year would have been 2008, 2009. So it was the big crash and it was just, I mean, it was impossible to even guess. I luckily got, uh, was allowed to work for free on the tutors and just as an intern there and just, and it was really good because it was such a big scope of a production. But saying that like once, the production ended I couldn't get work for free like just to even go and make people coffee or doing anything like that so from there I had met kind of in a production assistant who was becoming a producer over in Australia um, and he said to me and another couple of the interns oh if you want we can help you come into Australia and we can sponsor you if you because he was kind of aware of the situation and how willing we were to work and just, yeah, not able to find anything. So from there, I went to Australia and I worked on, originally it was in Perth in kind of um, a, a documentary to do with um, oil mining. And they obviously didn't want to put people down into the, into the mine. So uh, we were building a set and it was really like a learning experience from there. I realized how much I didn't know at all. And uh, yeah, like really what I thought was production design or art direction was really set decoration. 
Um, so yeah, it was a really big learning curve. And then from there, I went to California and to New York. And then, yeah, I just kind of have kind of slowly built up networking and um, yeah, and just kind of film families and all that kind of stuff. So uh, yeah, so Katie, you go ahead. That's <laughs> yeah, an amazing story. Um, it's cool to see that you've like been everywhere with it. Um, um, I, uh, yeah, I, I kind of had the same beginning where, um, I started at around the 2008 restructuring of the world. Um, and, uh, I, I did, I studied architecture at UC Berkeley and always knew that I, I want, was very interested in space and how we move through space and how we, um, exist in space. And, Ever since I was a little kid, I was very interested in this concept of space and how it changes. And so um, I, I naturally went into architecture and then learned that the architecture wasn't necessarily where I wanted to be. I wanted to be in spaces that humans have played with and changed and lived in. And so then I, I learned what production design was and I slowly kind of found my way into what the art department is and 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 when when I found out what art what the production designer was, I I was sort of sad that I didn't know about this career all along. You know, it's it is it's a secret career. And um, once I found out what it was, it was clearly like this this is the thing that I've always wanted to do. But um, you know, I got my start doing. I got my start mostly starting from the bottom doing tiny projects as a production designer. I did work underneath uh, a, a set decorator as a buyer for a chunk of time. I had a I have experience as a construction coordinator because my dad is a carpenter. But all along while doing these jobs in the art department, I was always doing um, my own production design on very tiny projects, which grew and grew and grew and grew. And um and that's where my path has taken me now. It's just kind of now I'm here and and um yeah, that's that's it. Oh, that's really great. Well, um, I just have some questions for you. <laughs> nice. Um, so yeah, my first one was what was your journey into film? Um, so how did you what was one of your first jobs and yeah, um how did it grow oh. from there? Well, when actually, I feel like I, I never talk about this, but my first job was I was hired as an art director on a very small movie about, it's called Aussie and Ted's, like, I forget, Aussie and Ted's journey. And it's about a, a stuffed animal and a little, and a dog that go on a journey to like, you know, adventure. And it was like the tiniest tiniest project but I felt so honored to be called an art director but on those small projects you know art director just means you're doing everything you know you're just yeah. you're in charge of props you're in charge of decor yeah. Um, yeah. and and yeah so I worked on these like really small things where I was working with two of my best friends um uh one of them who who is an amazing art director and one of them that's an amazing set decorator but at the very beginning of our careers the three of us would just go in and and make it all happen. You know, we'd, we'd, we'd cut the lumber ourselves and we'd hang the drapes and sew the drapes and, you know, get the whole, like we would do everything in the art department. And I think it was because of that 2008 crash, you know, that we just felt like that was the way the film industry was. And, and as our career has grown, we've incorporated more and more people. Um, you know, I, I miss those days where I used to do everything, but, um, but that is the world that I came from is, is very much, you have to do it all. 
so yeah and I totally remember that so like just I was so happy to be there and I just I didn't really know anyone that worked in, in Ireland or actually anywhere so I was kind of just so and I realized how much I had to learn so there was so much energy off that of realizing yeah you're like just out of out of the loop you know? well yeah I I really long for those days in a way just because I I feel like there's a there's an intense gratitude all the time mm-hmm. where um you know coming from being a, a waitress making money to be making my first check you know coming up with these creative worlds with my best friends it was just it was so fun it was so fun and so I I always love to remember where that came from because those were the glory days even though I was making $75 an hour or a day and, you know, (laughs) and using my own, my own stuff in my bedroom. It was, it was, yeah, it was a really special time. Yeah. There's such a joy from us. I remember my poor dad, um, (laughs) he couldn't keep any of his items in the bathroom because I was just nipping over to their house and just taking them. (laughs) Definitely couldn't afford it as part of the budget to use like half a a link scan. (laughs) and then did you find from there you kind of created film families if that's kind of the way of putting it and just how did you because I know you've worked quite a bit with the same kind of art director that was on Booksmart was the same one on Don't Worry Darling um, and same set decorator same script writer same director yeah Yeah. well one of those two other girls where we would you know what the three the three of us one of them Rachel Ferrara is the set decorator who has worked on 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 everything I've I've worked on basically that's taken place in the U.S. at least um yeah we we got our start together and and I think that that was one of the most beautiful things about um yeah these film families you pick up all over the world it's like it's like the that that first relationship I had with these the, the the three of us women that were building these worlds ourselves would start to bring in people little by little, and then as, as I would travel for jobs, once once I started working on on bigger movies, I'd travel and and yeah get to meet people all over the world and bring them into the fold, and it really does it is the it is the most hands down the most rewarding aspect for the job is to have these communities I mean even getting to talk to you right now is just so I know. Fantastic, you know I guess you felt like really nervous just yeah, well, five minutes before we started I don't know why <laughs> I was like you seem so lovely and I was like oh my god but it's just such a new perspective it's totally different from just visiting somewhere yeah. or when you go there for work oh and you god. have to reflect yeah yeah actually that's what I was gonna ask you like what do you like where do you get your visual inspiration from you know and it's kind of you know where you have to go into say you're in Manchester now and I'm not sure if you want to even talk about what you're working on right this second because yeah NDAs and all that but as you know like how does a Californian even begin to get to grips with what Manchester should be like and you know it's kind of just yeah yeah. I mean it's very confusing so I uh so yeah, what, what I used to travel a lot when I was younger, that was like another reason why I fell in love with, with when, once I found out that as a filmmaker, you can travel a lot. I was like, oh my God, that's like one of the things I wanted to do was travel with work. I, I actually lived in London when I was 22 and, and left hoping to come back for a job. So it feels really good to be in the UK for a job. But um, yeah, I, 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 
it is super interesting because the the first times that I travel for work, I was really afraid to use local crew because I was afraid that I was afraid that like I wasn't good enough, you know, that I that like I needed my team around me to like who understood my vocabulary that wasn't I wasn't able to like translate it to other people. And yeah. and so for a long time, I like fought to bring people with me everywhere I went. Mm-hmm. And even though I love my L.A. based crew, and, like it, it's an incredible crew that once I sort of let go of the um, that that safety cushion and realized like, OK, drop me down in any place and and I'll and I'll try and figure it out. I'll find the right people. I'll figure out how to move forward with it. And and then so so that is that's how I how I work all over the world is I I I drop down and I try and get the lay of the land. And it's very confusing at first. <laughs> I mean, it's really good to have this conversation now because it's hard. I'm in my second week of working in Manchester mm. and you know having to like learn everything right away you know like how 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 they budget things here how the art department is in charge of animals and and (laughs) special effects (laughs) and and some things that we're not in the U.S. and and all of a sudden we have to be experts and our job is already to be experts at everything so it's like you know you definitely have imposter syndrome wherever you go and I I laugh to my boyfriend because I'm always like I'm always like Yes, I know that like normal people feel imposter syndrome, but like this is legitimate. Like, what am I yeah. doing here? You know, why have I been brought here? They're wasting all this money. You know, like I, I, I'm probably not not going to give them the best you know piece of work for the for for what they're paying. But you you know you figure it out wherever you go, and then it does feel like you know you you pick up families all over the place, and I do feel like everybody gets something in the end. Um, and I think that, you know, the reason why I'm on this job right now in Manchester, it's, it's a TV show for the BBC and it's, um, the company is actually element and they're great. Yeah. Great. They're (laughs) really wonderful. And the director is a, is a very good friend of mine. So that's one of the reasons why I'm out here. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's so, so with researching, it's like, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll have to, for this particular project, I can't really give a lot away, but, um, you know, I have to like, really, the first thing I I do is I become really close with the location manager mm-hmm. and try to understand the layout of the land and where, what type of locations can serve the story. And then, you know, from there, the, the, the fun research, the Googling, the reading, you know, going through books and stuff, that's like all stuff that's like, you know, on my own time. I, I do, but like once I hit the ground running, it's just like locations are number one mm-hmm. and then crew and like trying to figure out because your team is everything, you know, if you have, if you have the, the, the strength of the team and, and the playfulness of your team will really like create the dynamic that like, you know, is the long lasting, most memorable thing on the project. I think that was one of the biggest shocks to me, actually, like just the the amount of research. I didn't realize it was months, you know, for bigger projects. It's just I'm being paid to just sit there and come up with ideas and just sketch it up and kind of go, oh, OK, you know, and you're so right about imposter syndrome. I just yeah, I do think that's true of any career or, you know, whenever anyone has to stand up in front of people. But <laughs> crazy stories of like you know having to control cockroaches were male madagascan um and people were like oh you don't know what to feed them and you know it's always <laughs> yeah 
And I think, you know, even in university, I think it's kind of, and it's such a mixed bag of people in the art department too, where um, production designers usually uh, study architecture um, or kind of people who don't, there definitely is that separation too of like trying to catch up. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I was going to ask you as well, um, do, 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 yeah, so what do you look for in a script when you're considering work options? Like, would you prefer to do loads of set bills and um, being in a stand stage or for kind of being both? Or do you just kind of go with the script that really moves you and you find mostly philosophical and psychologically kind of, you know, that you can bring something to it? Yeah, well, I probably, I mean, you probably have the same exact thing that I do, which is like, because we are, um, you know, we, we work on a bunch of different types of projects. It's almost like, it's almost like, what do you want at that moment? It might be different than what you wanted a year before. You know, if, if you, if you've worked on just like an incredible, huge build heavy job, um, you know, the next thing you might want to go on to is some poetic, like dreamy piece that yeah. you only have four people working with you, you know? Yeah. Um, but I think it's writing those, like, writing those waves of knowing like what the next one should be. Um, I worked on a very challenging TV show this summer in Santa Fe. Sorry for the sirens. Um, and we did a lot of, a lot of builds and it was a lot of, um, a lot of like really interesting, complicated uh, set builds and special effects rigs. So my next job, I was like, oh, I really want like, I really want something that just feels like dreamy and poetic and pure and is like, you know, a story that is like, just, you know, like a movie about the heart. Um, yeah. And so, so that was where, where I came from, but yeah, so it re really depends. I mean, I, I did, I did this movie, come on, come on, which um, was like a tiny, tiny film. And I had done that after I had done like a, pretty big tv show it felt like the right move to do and it was the right move it was making that film with the entire crew traveled together oh, and wow. um, I could only have three people in my department and you know so we were pretty pretty small and we had like different people in in each town that helped us support us but it was a very small team and so you know that was more like circus like and then after that I was like I want to do something big next, like yeah. <laughs> something with lots of builds. Um, and then right after that, well, the, we had the pandemic, but then I went on to Don't Worry Darling, which was like a big muscular flex of of um, design work. And, yeah. and so to have those two side by side felt like mm -hmm. a really like a nice thing. And, and I always want to make sure that like I honor that um, part of myself. I have a really wonderful agent who also understands that that like need to do both like yeah flex sometimes but then to reel back and to to have that like to know to know when when to to use your artistic muscles oh, that's so funny because I would never think of come on come on as a small film <laughs> I just <laughs> yeah, I love right. that movie oh my god it's like Joaquin Phoenix as well I mean Jesus he's just so special as like I'd say as a as a 
yeah as an actor and just to work with him and yeah to do all that kind of stuff and to work with Robbie Ryan yeah, who's ours <laughs> yeah. the best. The best. so how do you start a working relationship with say Robbie Ryan on come on come on and then Matthew Lubertique who you know god his work on Black Swan is just unbelievable and so dreamy and you kind of see it in the the sequences with the uh the, uh, the retina and the the yeah. kicking girls um or dancing girls sorry in um don't worry darling but yeah how did you because it's obviously two such different ways you know of of working well I feel like my I I sometimes like stop and think about how lucky I have been to have been worked with the most amazing DPs like I am really shocked that um I've had this luck uh Robbie obviously is like Robbie has like actually inspired like major life choices for me like I (laughs) think he is one of the coolest people I've ever met and um and 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 I just feel like his whole his whole approach to life and and creative work is just is so anti-capitalist and so rugged and so cool yeah Um, and I, I, I was so inspired by him, actually, that my boyfriend and I relocated to Lisbon to reduce our overhead so we could take on cooler jobs, you know, no like, way. so yeah, we, we want to, we want to like, we want to, we want to live more like Robbie. So like, <laughs> you know, Robbie, Robbie gave us a lot of inspiration. And then, um, you know, I've like Maddie Lebatique is like, is just such a hero. He's, mm. he's so incredible. And actually like both of those people have this thing in common where they're just like, so kind and so cool and really disarming. Um, Maddie is like one of the, like the sweetest, most soft-spoken kind of guys. Um, he's, he's really like a quiet observer, mm-hmm. um, even though he's like wickedly funny and like incredibly, like he's got a, a boisterous laugh <laughs> when he's on set, when you see him creating, he has these, um, he has these gloves that are like skeleton hands that he uses <laughs> to like sort of see like what the light is doing yeah Um, master of light yeah Yeah. he's he's just he his his brain is just doing so many exciting things that like he doesn't need to yeah it's it's just he's so he's so careful and and um and then I I I also worked in a movie that it hasn't come out yet uh it's gonna come out it's coming to South by Southwest but I worked with um a cinematographer named Frederick Wenzel who did Triangle of Sadness um amazing and the movie that we made it was like another one of those magical experiences working with like a DP who like felt like my soulmate and you know so I I feel really really fortunate like um yeah and, and like Steve Annis is another DP that I have loved working with and 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 just yeah these I think that this I think I, I grew up with older brothers and I it's funny because I am only naming the the males I also loved I worked with Ari Wagner like a bunch and um Carolina Costa and you know like there there's there's so many like I don't know. I just, I just feel really like there's just something really magical about the DP production designer, like relationship and the it's like, yeah. And I suppose it is kind of a philosophical kind of thing to pick in the first place, <laughs> to, you yeah. know, try and capture and try and light things properly that, yeah, it'd be kind of shocking if they were just, you know, for the purely the money. <laughs> You know, it's funny. I, I so I I got my start doing like tiny short films that like uh, uh, that 
celebrities were in. It was a it was a website called Funny or Die. Oh, and I remember, yeah. yeah, and they and I remember they would have like superstar DPs and directors come in and like sit in and do jobs. And I worked with Robert Ellsworth when I was like you know, 25 years old. And I remember like, he's, you know, like one of the most amazing DPs of our time. And I remember noticing about him, like that he was so cool. And that's something I picked up early on is that like the coolest DPs are like the kind, like the best DPs are the coolest. And and that just like kind of goes hand in hand that early on in your career, when you're working with like a lot of divas, you know, like you sort of think that that's the way that it is. And then there's a point where you, when you work with the the superstars, you're like, gosh, they're just like, they're just totally kind. And I, <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I think it's kind of, yeah, it's a misconception, isn't it? That people think, oh, well, I've gotten somewhere. So I'm going to start acting in a different way when it's, it's kind of usually the exact opposite where they've tried and worked so hard that it's just, oh my God. <laughs> Just so thankful to be there. <laughs> um, so I was going to ask you as well, like, <laughs> try to avoid the, the word process, but what is your process? Like, is oh, it when you yeah. first get a script, you sit down and you're, you've decided you definitely want to do it. How do you begin? So I usually do a breakdown at the same time as reading it the first go, which, okay. um, so I, I like have like, a I have, either have it printed out and then I'm like handwriting down and the breakdown is usually like questions I'm asking about each scene like questions that I would ask a director but like I probably am not gonna even like not even think you know I'm just I'm just sort of like questions that I'm asking myself um and so in each each scene I'm starting to kind of imagine the the all the different like components of it breaking it apart like what's on the TV, what's happening on the phone, what is she holding, what is she doing? And, and basically like going in with a, with a magnifying glass for every scene and expanding it. And so the, the idea of doing it with the first read is a little strange. Cause like, I feel like I have read scripts fully all the way through, but there is something about the, the, the doing the breakdown at the same time, like with that magnifying glass, like you don't miss anything. And I think that with um, with my brain, I think because we've all become really great multitaskers, reading a script is really hard. You know, <laughs> you find yourself leaping off the page, like yeah. wondering, you know, wondering like what else you have to be doing. And and so to kind of keep myself present, I'm doing a breakdown at the same time. And sometimes that's drawing too. Um, there was actually in Booksmart, I did a lot of for every scene I'd read, I'd try and draw the layout and, and, you know, what the camera could be doing Mm. to then kind of explain like, well, what, what is this, what does the space look like? So then like when, when I'm done reading the script, it's in my head, like it's actually like in a notebook that I've, that I have beside the, the computer and it's really sort of there. And then I feel less intimidated by the process of design. Yes, (laughs) because I think that that's the thing, right? Like when you are, when you start a job, you're so intimidated because you have this whole world built Mm -hmm. and you haven't hired on your people yet and you haven't seen your locations and you're just starting. So how do you feel confident in like executing the entire vision? It's like you, you feel the confidence because you've like already done a lot of the work, you know, it's in that, it's in that document. 
and like just to even focus in specifically on don't worry darling because that was just such oh my god the sets like the production design is a huge component you know it's it kind of I think people would always kind of get a bit shocked at how much production design is even in kind of just a, an average rom-com you know because it's just you're dealing with everything but it kind of is supposed to go unnoticed it's 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 supposed to be okay this is a character that's a modern and um, average person or you know not sometimes and um, but and don't worry darling it was just I mean even just like the wallpaper in the bathroom was starting to become more cracked and and um, I just started to see more and more cracks all around it it was such a huge component to what was happening in her head and oh my god the crushing scene was yeah. just unbelievable like where I, I was kind of a bit shocked that the volcano house is an actual house I, I think know. most people must say that to you <laughs> Yeah. was that's crazy and um, but where so yeah what what was set bills and what wasn't on don't worry darling so yeah uh well we we had this amazing location manager one of the most like amazing collaborators I've ever worked with his name is Chris Baugh and so when he when he was brought on we you know I I I, I always have a plan I always like imagine that we're not going to be able to find anything. And I'm like, I'm dreaming up what the set builds could be or would be. And then one of the things that magically happens is I'm doing that at the same time as there's a location manager looking for stuff. And some of the stuff that I like draw up or imagine, like he finds, you know, like some magical stuff like that always happens. And so, so with like, for instance, uh, Frank's house, as Kaufman House, um, that was that was a real, you know, I I had imagined maybe like Elrod House or like another ostentatious mid-century modern desert home, but Elrod House wasn't um, available for shooting in. They were doing remodel on it, and I had always thought of Neutra as a as as an idea for the the overall look of the film of of Alice and Jack's house, and so actually I I had heard that somebody could take us to see like or, you know, that we could like peer over the fence to see Kaufman house and maybe we can get in and maybe we can go look at it. Um, that was always just a plan to investigate how we could build Alice and Jack's house. Mm-hmm. So Kaufman wasn't really on the table for Jack's because we really thought it was a pipe dream. And then when we did scout it, um, I took a lot of notes for the, the Alice and Jack's house, but, but then, you know, we ended up being able to shoot it for Frank's, which was incredible. Um, so that was a real, you know, that's a real historic home. Um, the volcano house is also like a, a very secret in the middle of nowhere. Um, it's it home that our, our location manager found because he was doing a deep dive on desert modernism in, in the California desert. And when we found that house, we were just like, so obsessed in awe. Um, <laughs> and like, where, why is this not like, a famous place yeah um, and and it it's you know we, we it's really difficult to film and because it's in in barstow desert so it's like way out there um it's like i mean i know you're in ireland so it's like you might not like understand this but it's like two hours and 45 minutes from la and there's a the there's the the this um, diameter of where you can film outside of LA is around like 30 to 45 minutes. Mm. So we were like way outside of that, which cuts into your shooting time where you have to put people up. And it's very like, 
anyway, this 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 house is on the top of a volcano. There's only a dirt road that snakes to the top. We had to build up there. So we had to like bring all of our construction gear up there, build, and then like, you know, back the trucks down because there's no oh way to my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, I think everyone it's, it's, will, like not yeah. to ruin the ending, but I mean, uh, uh, yeah, like even just how intricate that was, you know, just the the final scene where she's running up and, you know, you're just screaming at the screen, run, <laughs> but my God, that was just, I, I remember thinking that at the time going, how do they get all the lighting and the equipment and yeah. everything up there? Well, we had, there was like a, an overhang with a, with a garage where we packed everything in. And then it was like, you know, we just had, we had a van just like doing the circuits going up and down. There was room to turn a van around. So it's like, oh, we okay. had, we had that capability, but um, I mean, the, the shot of like the cars going up, it was just like, once they were up there, it was like, okay, how do we get all these cars down? Like, <laughs> how do we get, get them down from the top? Um, <laughs> but yeah, that was a real standout, standout location and, and my favorite of the film. And it was like, one of those things where like, you know, even just like, there were just things that spoke to Barstow is Barso is is like three hours away from Palm Springs, but there were things in the architectural style that just spoke directly to a lot of our exteriors that we used in Palm Springs, like the the Palm Springs Welcome Center, which plays the um the the last trolley stop. There's a trolley stop on the way out of town. Um, we shot in the uh, Palm Springs City Hall. That was the exterior of the fitness center. Okay. Uh, we shot at La Quinta Resort, which is uh, the entrance of um, of Victory, the town of Victory, and the pool scene happens there. And and yeah, all of the locations we use were like very historic. So the art department had to be very gentle with them. Mm-hmm. It was, um, you know, these are like museum pieces of houses. Yeah. So yeah. We had to really kind of be caretakers. And yeah. then... <laughs> Yeah, and everything else was pretty much a build. Yeah. Yeah. So all the interiors of all the homes are, yeah. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. I love the fire. The fireplaces were brilliant. Thank (laughs) you. Thank you. Really had to make something look real as well. Um, So then, how would you start to break down a budget? So, obviously, like you started and everything is kind of becoming bigger and bigger would it have been kind of quite similar at the beginning like is there just one way that you kind of break down the budget for kind of something small or is this completely changed over time oh it's completely changed and honestly like I rely a lot on the coordinator and the art director to help me with those numbers because um you know you have like well it depends on where you are and like what you're responsible for but uh, you know, you have like fringes and like labor rates that are different all over the place. You know, you, you working in California is different than working in New Mexico and New York. And, and, and also it's very different, actually. Um, one of the, one of the hardest things about coming up, like being responsible for a budget and being on jobs away from home is every place does things differently. And so what I've learned is that, um, yeah, you kind of have to like really lean on your crew to add, to like say like what is a normal crew size for this, um, mm, because it's yeah. it's it's impossible to know. I I did a job in Portugal where they were like, 
you know, the, the art director suggested, let's pack all of our labor into like the first two weeks and build everything and then lose them all, you know? And, okay. and so it was like this very careful way to like build everything and then put everything, everyone down, move them onto a different job. Wow. And then we had a really skeleton crew. This was for a film called Color Out of Space. It was, it was a massive art department job, but but the core crew was very, very, very tiny. And if I would have come in as an American and, and, and decided what that, what that crew needed to look like, it would have, it would have looked so different. Um, just because we have like a very rigid way in the States, um, how to, how to pull things off. And I, and I think every, everything is, you know, it's, it's, it's so different everywhere I go. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I'm right now I'm kind of like, oh, wow. Like, I, I did a job in Australia and had an amazing experience there with um, actually an Irish art director, production designer that I worked with named Loretta Cosgrove. She, she had like a really smart way to like structure the crew, but, you know, she educated me on like what a standby does and how that's different than a set on set dresser. And yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. Like, like, yeah, yeah. like how, how we, how we take care of kids and dogs and, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and so she caught me up on like, okay, this is like what we're supposed to like, you know, be mm-hmm. in charge of over here. Um, so, yeah, cause that etiquette is so different and just, just, yeah, traveling around the world, like cultures are so different. What's rude here is completely acceptable in, in quite a country quite near, you know, as well. I went to a really oh. good seminar um, oh. on Nigel Dick and he, he's kind of a, um, a music uh, video director, mostly um, from the 80s and 90s. And he was going around kind of, and he does a seminar on uh, 10, uh, 10 rules that they won't teach you in film school. And one of them was going around kind of going, oh, Oh, this was my experience in France this was in Japan it was really really quite funny uh, but one of them was you know if you don't give um your crew a glass of wine in France they'll walk out and they'll just kind of oh, go yes we should start bringing that in <laughs> that's amazing I'm French <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. oh that's so funny yeah, yeah well I I uh I also think you have to understand the layout of a city to really understand how to budget accordingly there was a job I did in Montreal where um, traffic was really difficult because they're always like working on their roads. And so, you know, what, what they told me that was standard was like very, it's very standard to have like smaller set deck teams responsible for each location, because you don't want people, you don't want your set decorator to like have to be stuck going from one location to the next. And so you, so we were like, there was a point where we had three set deck teams working with three independent set decorators. And they were like, this is the way we do it. And I was like, that's crazy. But like, you know, <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean like, uh, uh, but when I, when I questioned it, they were like, oh, you don't know how the roads are here. They're so yeah, bad. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's, so it's, it, I think that's, that's the biggest learning curve with like traveling and doing jobs everywhere is you're just, you really have to like, you really have to just plug yourself into the right people and like really trust them mm-hmm. to like tell you the most efficient way to pull it off. Yeah. Um, that's it. Yeah. And then actually the last question I was going to ask you is just about de-stressing and and avoiding burnout, which I think was just something that people never really used to talk about quite openly, but now it's kind of just, it's so there that people have to come up with solutions. Yeah. Is there a de-stress method that you do or? 
Yeah. Well, my, my like number one is I am really into flotation therapy. Um, that's actually been like a really great resource for me. And it's one of those things where, you know, meditation is obviously like a huge part of the process. The, the thing about meditation is as like kind of the same problem with the, the reading the script thing. It's like when you are on a job and you stop to meditate or you take like a lunch break to meditate, sometimes you are just like unable to get there. Like you're like, I'm sorry, but I can't meditate because I'm stressed, you know, like, <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's a cyclical thing. Um, and so one thing I love about flotation therapy is it's like, it's real sort of like forced. I mean, you go in, you, you're in the float tank and you just like, you're there for an hour. And, and, and actually like, I, I do a thing with my meditation practice where I actually like invite ideas to come, especially like when I am working, mm-hmm. um, you know, instead of like, kind of like noting, um, you know, like no noting the different ideas that are coming my way. I try to like, to notice what is recurring, what is like a, a cyclical thought, what's one, what's something that's haunting me, that's like doing me no good, you know, mm-hmm. the 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 thing that's like just biting at you. Yeah. Um I I I tend to kind of watch what's happening with those, but then I wait for like the sort of moments. A lot of times I meditate to just like to just actually ask like, what is what is it that I'm not aware of that I should be aware of? Yeah, And then all of a sudden there's this pause and then it's like, you should be checking to make sure the interior of the car is the same in the second one or the first, you know, those like moments yeah. where you're like, ah, yes. And yeah. then you write that down and then it's gone. Um, but I think that like, yeah, de-stressing is like another thing with traveling is, is my, my home space is really important. Um, you know, like I change the light bulbs in every rental that I'm in and, um, oh, wow. You know, just to make it feel like home and to make it feel like I have a routine. Mm. I think that that's a really important thing. Like, ha- like having a feeling of routine, um, having like an exercise, like, you know, taking long walks, um, making sure that I like talk to friends on the phone. Um, you know, as, as artists, it's so easy to slip into this mindset where we are just like, I mean, we love what we do, obviously, right? We're addicted to this. So it's like, just like an addiction, like we have to like, we have to put the brakes on it because if we don't, we will be there the entire time because we love it. (laughs) Even though we resent it, we resent that love. (laughs) You know, it's like, it's like we have to have those pauses because it just, and and I think that's back to the flotation tank. Like Mm. there's a lot of times where I'm like, I'm not stressed. I don't really need it. And that's yeah, I'm yeah. Thinking, I'm like, oh, you needed this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think that can be kind of misconstrued on set sometimes. It's like, oh, I'm not stressed in comparison to all these other people. Yeah. <laughs> but then in comparison to your normal level, it's it's kind of probably a nine out of ten. <laughs> yeah. And like when you know, when 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 like I feel like when my brain's working the best, it's like or like the most the most like yeah, the best version of my brain is like when if anything on set bothers me or if anything in the process bothers me, it's an opportunity to look inward at -hmm. at like what it means and why it bothers me and to kind of use, use our career and our job as like therapy in a way to just be like, 
what was that about? Why did that hurt so much? Why was that? What did that feel so? um, What did that? Why did I feel so powerless in that instance? And then kind of come back and 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 use it as like a a tool to like enlighten enlighten myself about my behavior. So that's like, you know, when it's, when brain, when my brain's working healthy, that's where I like to go. And, and I can tell if I'm not where I'm like, you know, triggered and not yeah. eating and not drinking water. And yeah, that's yeah. it, isn't it? Cause like, and then the more stressed you become, the more you're just going to avoid lunch and have three coffees and something sugary. And yeah, it just starts to become quite, quite quickly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And my, my number one, I mean, even though I got, I got into this job because I, you know, I love space and I love adventure. I found myself loving the job for the family that we build. And, you know, when I go to sleep at night, I know that like the reason why, like the, in the, 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 the deepest part of why I love the job and why I, I'm, I, I want to keep doing it is because we, as like people in charge of a department get to like be good bosses and be like mm-hmm. and take care of the people that we're working with that's like something that I think about a lot is like we have a really great privilege and responsibility and and that's like that's the most amazing thing is like how can we just be like the best the best people you know to like take care of our our, our family and and I think that 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 goes hand in hand with the de-stressing is like I know that I have to do that for my crew. Like, I know that I have to be like the sharpest, like most gentle version of myself. Yeah. <laughs> I'll do whatever I can to like, to, to, to make yeah. sure. You know. now, I don't have kids, but I, I imagine that's kind of what like a mother feels running a household. Yeah. If she goes down, the whole house goes down. <laughs> so you yeah. know, exactly. It's kind of just part of us. <laughs> And exactly. um, So Gemma, I don't know if you want to come back in. You were saying to <laughs> give you a heads up. Um, I, I had a few questions and then I have some in the Q&A and I had some that were asked for me to ask via email. So I'll just I'll, I'll go I'll go quickly because I know we're we're coming up in an hour and I don't want to keep people's time in the evening time. Um, so one of the things that I this is, this is for me um, the film families thing sounds really interesting and it's such an it's such a kind of an intense dynamic. I'm just wondering, do you think do you notice like in the time that you've been working on sets and, 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 and this goes to both of you as well, actually, do you think the dynamics have shifted with regards to maybe um, the industry starting to be a, a bit more inclusive and post me too, like a more of an, a kind of a, a focus put on safety? Like, do you guys feel that on set or are they kind of abstract things and procedures just brought in? Yeah. Do you want to go first, Jill? Um, I, I would definitely say, especially in kind of younger directors, I definitely see it. I don't see it as much in kind of people who have, you know, established themselves in the industry and, you know, they're kind of have been in it for decades. I think it's kind of they and and, and also to give them a little bit of credit, like that's the way it, they know how to get it over the line. And it, it's just kind of the amount of stress I guess on a director as well is just completely out of the world because if if the film doesn't do well it comes down on them essentially so but I have noticed yeah a lot more inclusivity especially in the last five years about um yeah to do with yeah everyone actually um and just people what what was okay especially joke wise just isn't okay anymore um yeah definitely so I don't know how you feel Katie. <laughs> yeah well I feel like um 
you know, the Me Too movement was interesting because we got to see, um, we like actually like got to see a little bit about like what was behind some of the creatives like power um like you know like what or what it was like the first time where we actually got to like really look into like whether or not we want like we had these I'm sorry this is not being able to put into words but we got to actually like weigh the artists versus their art and like whether or not like we felt like that that the art was worth you know, their abuse of women or, you know, and, and, and so like we, these conversations started then. And, and I think then got much more interesting, obviously with like diversity and, and then I think now we're learning that like, I, I hear now nowadays because also it's so busy, people are able to choose who they want to work with. Like, you know, like if somebody has a bad reputation, even if they're a phenomenal director, um, and I won't name who those 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 directors the are. Biography when you retire. Yeah, I think we're both slow to begin to answer because it was like, oh, what can I say here? <laughs> well, but it's but it's like it's yeah, it's it's um, it's like. I mean, I hear these names all the time. Like people be like, do you want to work on this film? Like probably don't want to work on that film. Right. You know, and like, and I, and I hear like set decorators and art directors and, and everybody's talking to each other. And I think the thing is, is like, we really want to believe that like the person making the art that we're going to consume is like a good person. I think that that's like a human desire that has changed probably because of like, you know, Twitter and social media, like we, we want to know who's behind the art now. And if we find out that person is like not good to their crew, it's like that person, that person like will be written off. Um, and so I think that that's, that's what makes, I think that people are more aware of that. And so it's been pushing the difficult people out a bit. And I think those people are like, I don't know what's going on or what happened, you know, but I think that that's like, <laughs> it's just what happened. Yeah, this blaming woke. <laughs> yeah. I'm woke okay. That's very interesting. Um, and, and sort of, it, I think people had been getting away with so much for so long that it's it's yeah. good to see, you know, kind of nicer environments on, on set and people kind of looking after one another. Actually, I have another question later down and it's... um and it's kind of tied in with this it's um do you find like what skill set would you look for if especially if you're on a small crew do you um go for personalities do you go for skill sets that complement yours um does it depend on the job like if, if you're both kind of looking to work with people what would you look for um I just yeah you kind of try and find someone especially I suppose it would depend project by project but obviously if you've got a skill set that's really lacking and it's incredibly needed then that person will you know jump the queue because that's kind of what you need more than anything else but I definitely think for the majority especially if it's like a bigger crew just having someone I remember getting this really good piece of advice right at the beginning going if you actually show up on time or five minutes early with a smile on your face someone is going to give you a job you know it's just because it's just so busy you know once especially when filming starts it's just putting tracks in front of a moving train it's actually quite you know yeah it's just the fear of just this has to get done 
And if there was some training or anything like that, I think that's where the question was supposed to lead. It was if there's training or anything that you guys would recommend, like, I mean, I mean, there's so many different ways someone could go in, you know, like fine arts or technical kind of backgrounds. What would you recommend? Was it film school going in set crafts? What? Um, I, I'd say a mixture of, of quite a lot, actually, because as we were talking about like imposter syndrome and just, you know, you can never you're never going to conquer all this like in it's going to take at least two decades you know you have to have all your color theory all you need to know about lighting in you know just set decoration interior design architecture uh calligraphy you know it's just it's never ending you know how to work uh, tools you need to have, be able to drive oh god it's just yeah <laughs> like, there's never been a job where i've just gone in going oh this is great i can just you know, kick my heels back here um I don't know how you feel, Katie. Yeah, I mean, I think that like there is, there's, there's three tools that I think are really impressive when somebody breaks into the industry as a PA and is like, I have this ability and I'm like, whoa. And that's SketchUp. Like if they can like, if they, cause that's something that I think like will only become more handy as you design and art direct hand drawing and graphic design. Like it's like if anybody's trying to get into the art department, you might as well like learn those three tools or at least two out of three or one out of three, because I think that like you'll need it at the top of your career and it'll only like help you get in the door um, along the way. Yeah. And um, what's the strangest thing you've had to create? um I'm not sure actually um god uh one of the weirdest ones um oh well I suppose this is kind of just something that's totally normal but the amount of like styrofoam that goes on I was just kind of I remember being kind of shocked at that at the beginning just the amount of like scenery that gets decorated and having to learn yeah all the spray painting techniques and all that but I mean now it kind of I remember working recently and someone was like oh and tell like at saying a joke oh is there any way you can make a kind of like fake uh dead bear you know after lunch and I was just like um you know <laughs> that's amazing oh no oh yeah sorry yeah very funny <laughs> oh that's, that's an amazing story <laughs> have you had anything Katie or is it so many things that I can't even yeah. like think about. I mean, every, every job has a crazy thing. The first thing that came to my mind is, um, I, I worked on this like really silly comedy TV show called comedy bang, bang. And I had to chop, um, I had to chop a ton of onions to fill a coffin. So it was a co coffin full of onions. Oh, the joke is, is that some, that someone's crying over the coffin, <laughs> but it's just a coffin full of onions. But I like, I have a picture of me like chopping onions for like, you know, an entire two days to fill this coffin full of onions, you know? But yeah, I think, yeah, when you're working on comedy, it's like, uh, someone who told me like comedy relies on the gag. So it's like, it's always something like really crazy, really weird, you know? Yeah. 
That's fabulous. Um, so so they, that, that's the name. Their job is just making weird stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it could be something completely normal as well. Like, oh God, I remember doing a comedy shorts and there was fish involved and it was just so gross. Like, because it had to be, we couldn't afford to kind of get a prop guy. So it had to be a real dead fish. And it was like, yeah, <laughs> just like that. Wow. Um, so Element, uh, an Irish company, which is nice. Do you find there's any um, political differences on set? You were saying you had mentioned this actually about going to France and, um, and 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 like different things on set. But what about your own lived experience? Is there is there a notable difference from European sets to the the states, or is it all kind of similar, same people kind of working in between? I've noticed many um, differences, like many differences. Yeah. Um, the one thing right off the bat is like the 10 hour day is not something that the U S is very good at. Um, we work about, we work 12 hour days with the hour lunch. So it's a 13 hour day. Um, so 10 hour days are amazing, but yeah, in Portugal, they have this weird thing where, um, you have to take your lunch hour, like at lunchtime, and then you have to take a dinner hour at dinner time. So if you start at 10 AM, you still have to take a lunch break at noon and then a dinner break so it's like that they and they because they can't conceive the idea of like that you would take lunch at 9 p.m you know it's like always that um in the same way that like you know like yeah like you drink wine in France and that's normal and and in Spain there's like long breaks in the middle of the day and 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 I, I worked in, yeah, I mean, just, just everywhere is everywhere has like a, a little like flavor, but th- that's the stuff that you're like kind of most excited about when you land, you're like, what is it going to be? What's the difference? Here? <laughs> Are there any kind of strange things you can do wrong? Maybe that, that you wouldn't like, like not giving someone a glass of wine, but any other ones? Cause I do think like it, it, sometimes there's like a weird politics to things that you don't even realize you're stepping into. Well, in Japan, um, I noticed that um, that they my crew was very much not into the idea of um, showing their work in a process. They wanted to show the finished work. So it was like they want to, you know, you you give them you give them the idea of what you want and then they give you the finished product. But if you're watching them the entire time, that's very rude. Like that is like a sign that you are like not respecting their Mm. like ability to pull it off. And it's also, I think it's like a, it's probably like a, you know, part of the culture too, where it's like, they are perfectionists. So it's like, they don't, they, they don't want to show you work halfway done. They want to show it looking perfect. So that was one thing that I learned because as a designer, you're like, oh no, but I want to see if that color I picked was like a bad idea, you know, like it's me, it's not (laughs) you. But I think that that's like something that like learning, like, oh no, that's kind of actually like rude to do. So you have your process as an American and then they have their process. And how do you make both sides happy? You know, like how can I, and and, and so with that, like, you know, I, I explained to them that like, it was more, yeah, it was more about like my own, you know, wanting to see, making sure that things were okay with the decisions I made and it wasn't about them. 
yeah I've made loads of cultural mistakes with Japanese people actually because uh yeah just it's it's kind of the honor thing and I remember yeah like telling someone they had a nice top on and apparently that's just extremely rude because it's kind of saying you 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 I wouldn't expect that off you and I was like no god no that's not what I mean at all <laughs> Or if you say that someone has like, oh, you got a new car or it's very, it's a kind of because they like having older cars that, um, yeah, that it kind of shows that they can, you know, look after something really well. So, yeah, it's wow. minefield. Yeah, because Irish people are really imposing and you can just see us like, can we talk a lot and we get real into people's faces and Japanese culture is like not like that at all. It's all about like kind of conservativeness and and yeah, it's it's quite insular. Like you can just imagine us really like getting on people's wick. <laughs> Some people. yeah. Cause like you go anywhere here, people go up to you and be like, what are you doing? Where are you from? What are you here for? <laughs> yeah. And you got a boyfriend. <laughs> and you're like, I just met you. We're at a bus stop. I don't know you. <laughs> God. Um, yeah. But uh, so I think like people sort of starting out. So you guys have seen it all, done it all. If, if like maybe the first time people kind of helm a project by themselves, what are sort of mistakes people can avoid making? that you guys might see that would be quite common. I think obviously like not being like feeling like you can't ask for help or you can't like say that you don't know how to do something. I think that that's like the biggest mistake you can make. Yeah. Oh, and leaving it too late, you know, kind of nodding along in the meetings and then you need the prop and they'll say, you know, you need it for the next morning and they'll say the night before I I didn't know what that meant and you know you're kind of going okay now <laughs> okay we better fix that now but yeah <laughs> no sleep free then oh my yeah. god um what are the most difficult types of jobs to do so I can imagine like period piece but if you were saying you've a lot of time to research it or is it is it kind of ones where it's more by the seat of your pants like what what are the most challenging gigs to do I'd say the worst the location is the the harder it is yeah definitely because uh, yeah anything outside that's kind of even extreme I don't know how you're finding Manchester's <laughs> temperatures <laughs> um but yeah or anything that's really hard to drive to or yeah anything like that that's just eating into your time and it could possibly go wrong because if you're in a tra- traffic job then you know there's nothing you can do so you're just constantly that's an added weight to the whole day yeah that's actually a really good question that I've been thinking about a lot actually which ties into the like which scripts do you take which jobs you take I have like actually realized that I am not happy doing certain types of sets like if I have to do like hospitals police stations um even like high schools like I sort of I'm like oh like you know oh no, this again, you know, because there's such a formula, there's such a, there, there's such a thing that you, that you're expected to do. There's color choices that are sort of normal. You can't really like push outside the bounds. Yeah. I mean, you can, but like, it's, it's one of those things where I find myself, um, or prisons, you know, like, I, I, you know, I, I, I will do films that have, have these locations, but I've just noticed that like, I am not fulfilled if like, if I just don't love the locations like that were or like the, the the sets that we're that we're doing 
Jill, where are you right now? No, right now I'm in Dublin. Oh, cool. Yeah. Awesome. yeah. So, so you're coming you over and... on right now. Sorry. What are you working on right now? I'm kind of doing a lot of concept illustrations for the last, like, I'd say about eight months. I've been kind of, it kind of happened a lot over COVID where I yeah it was quite scary where we just didn't know when it was going to end so I took on a lot of concept illustrations then because I love doing this like this stuff that's right at the beginning and just trying to get into the kind of heart and head of the the script and so yeah I've been doing kind of a mixture of like loads of different things actually just but just from my own house so yeah (laughs) yeah it's been good (laughs) so yeah that's, thank you so much, yeah, Katie. Thank yeah, thank it's you. So very lovely. Much. It's been so refreshing. It has been hard here just getting getting started. So it's nice to it's nice to talk about like the career as a whole. Cause it's like when you're in it, you're like, oh, this is a tough one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you don't want to give too much away either. So it's quite distracting sometimes. <laughs> and we're all very impressed, going, oh my God, that is just beautiful <laughs> from the outside. <laughs> I don't think they even do that so it's, it's fabulous but thank you guys so much for chatting it's it's lovely to listen to so two kind of pros it's it's been fascinating to really get to the crux of this um and thanks everyone for tuning in I see everyone's looking forward to getting their tea now um so brilliant yeah. so keep an eye out we, we whiff will have some really cool events coming up um we have one uh, that's going to be in the next two months. It's an in-person event on um, a panel on uh, career opportunities for women over 40. So it's a kind of afternoon of discussions, a nice maybe a glass of wine in person. So everyone kind of make sure you're subscribed to the newsletter. So we'll get that into your inbox. And thanks so much again. Great. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. See you later. Bye. Support the work we do at WFT.ie.